Hello and welcome to Just One Cornetto, a podcast discussing all things Green at Morton. My name is Dean McKinnon and I'm your host. Just One Cornetto is brought to you in association with themortonforum.com, your hub for the latest Morton news, analysis and debate. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Morton Forum. A quick morning that this podcast may contain a bit of adult language. Thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Just one cornetto, give it to me, delicious ice cream, oh and Welcome to this week's Match Reaction episode, brought to you in association with themortonforum.com and the Inverclyde Boiler Company. It's a 1-0 defeat for the Ton, away at Dens Park, as a close-range volley from Celtic Loney, Jonathan Afolabi gave the home side all three points. Morton was reduced to 10 men after Robbie Muirhead picked up two bookings for descent in quick succession. We couldn't find a way past the Dundee backline despite a late rally. Joining me to chew over the bones of yesterday's defeat, we have Louise Rogers. How are you, Louise? Yep, I'm good, thank you. Brilliant. And joining us for the first time after a series of technical mishaps, we have Cammy Middleton. How are you, Cammy? I'm uh, brilliant. I'm delighted to finally be on after a couple of laptops, a few broadband routers, but I'm here now. <laughs> All right, we'll go to you first. What did you make of the game yesterday? First and foremost, just, I can't make it clear that, of course, my first episode on this is half fallen a defeat. That just had to happen. <laughs> I don't think it was the worst defeat we've had. I don't think it was a terrible performance. It wasn't. It was frustrating, I think is the word to kind of cover it. What about you, Louise? Is frustrating a word, a word you would agree with? Yeah, it was. I feel that we just weren't brave enough. Obviously, when the, the team announcement came out on Twitter and it was like six defenders, they were all wondering what formation was going on and Esbitt was on the bench. It was just a bit confusing, so... Watching the kind of first half of the first half, I thought Dundee were all over us and just kind of sat back. Dundee's goal that they scored was quite poor. That There was about five or six of us, well, our players in the box. They all just kind of stood and watched it going in. But then I felt was the set, when the second half happened and Nesbitt came on and all that, we played a lot better, a lot more attacking, had a lot more of the ball. And I just feel that if we had kind of begun the game that way, it could have been a different story. We might have picked up a point or even get the three points, but yeah, it was definitely frustrating watching it in the first half especially. I think it took me quite a while to work out what sort of shape we were trying to play. Obviously, the match reports got it listed as a 3-5-2. There were times where it looked like a 4-5-1. There were times where it almost looked like a 6-3-1. I thought the shape worked quite well against Alloa. Again, the interchanging that we talked about between Salkeld and Nesbitt. The shape I'm still struggling with a little bit. I think it might work if we're going to harry and press the teams round about us that we're competing with at the bottom, the bottom half of the league. I don't have a great deal of confidence in us being able to play that away from home, play our pressing football and still have players in positions to create and take advantage of chances. Again, as you guys alluded to, I think frustrating definitely covers it from yesterday. Yeah, like in terms of the shape, we're obviously going to do this five at the back, or if you call it a three at the back, if you want with kind of two with the wider players, wider players being in midfield, whatever you want to call it. We're obviously doing that. But I think if we are going to do that, we need that creative link from midfield, which then gets from defence to attack, which I don't think we have, and maybe we do have, but I don't think we're starting it. We've got McAllister and Jacobs, who I don't really think done anything terribly wrong. Sometimes maybe McAllister's a bit ball-watching uh, in the second half particularly, but 
we don't have that player who's going to pick that ball up from the fence and then start that counter attack because we've got a quick team up front when we do have the players on, like the Nesbitt, McPake, and then the uh, wingers as well, like McKeever and uh, McGuffey. But if we don't have that creative link in the middle, I think we're going to struggle to actually create chances, which is ultimately what happened against Dundee. We did struggle to create chances. We weren't bad, I don't think. We defended actually relatively well, which was nice to see. We did have four centre-backs on you would imagine we'd defend well, but I think without that creative link in the middle of the park, we will struggle to score goals, which is frustrating because we do have some goal scorers in our team. Yeah, I think that's, there's a frustration there in that the areas that we're winning the ball back, especially when we play with our back five, all of our creative players are ahead of the ball when where we're winning the ball and what we're looking to do with it. All of our creative players are ahead of the play and that's where there is, as you said, there is that definite disconnect there between the areas that we're winning the ball back. We're not always managing to get the best out of our creative players using this system. Defensively, I think we look solid. We look solid for the majority of the game. I think Vajotov is a cracking player. He's played really well so far. I think the one change that we could make to really improve the team right away would obviously be Strap going in for Muirhead which will be an enforced change next week anyway. Yeah, like, Strappy needs to be in that team. Muirhead isn't a left-back. I think we all know that. I think every Morton fan knows that. The defence is it's actually it's a plus point. I think that Fjortov is fantastic. He looks very comfortable on the ball. He's great in the air. Um, then alongside him, McGinty and McLean, I mean, as I said, I think defensively the performance against Dundee was OK. I think it was quite good. And I don't think McGinty or McLean really looked that out of place. So maybe in that kind of back three, the centre-back kind of partnership with Fjortov, I think maybe they'll actually both flourish. Time will tell, but it's still just a frustrating kind of thought. Yeah, I agree with all the comments about the defence. I thought the defence, apart from obviously the, the goal, I thought were excellent yesterday. I thought Fjortov, or however you say his name, I thought he was solid. I think he's been outstanding in every game he's played with us. I think McLean being in the middle of McGinty and, and Fjortov is always Obviously, he's really experienced and he's maybe talking them through. I just feel like they were winning every header that was coming up to them yesterday. I thought Ledger was good as well, one of the new guys. He was solid as well. So, as Cammy and, and Dean have said, I think once Strap is back in the team, I think the defence is pretty much sorted. And I think it's just really kind of midfield and up front that we just need to try and settle it basically and, and try and see what works for us, really. Yeah, I think as we've, as we've alluded to, uh... We have recruited good players in the back line. As you said, Cami. I think the back five does well in that it gets the most out of the positive attributes in McLean's game. It also gives the, the protection around him that we know he doesn't have legs anymore. Obviously, he's getting on in years. I think well, the back five worked well to mask his weaknesses and get the most out of his out of the positive attributes of his game. Moving on slightly, what did you make of your head red card? <laughs> I keep going on about it, but it's the kind of... The whole kind of theme of the day of the game frustrating. It's so he doesn't need to do it. It's just it was so avoidable. I understand the frustration. You can't really you couldn't really tell from the stream whether it was a throw in or Dundee's throw in. I can understand players do get frustrated and things like that. It's stupid to pick up a yellow there to continue talking to the ref and I think he sarcastically applauded the ref when we're needing our backs against all we need to get a goal here is so unbelievably frustrating. I think maybe with eleven men the way we played towards the last 10 minutes, I think we could have maybe started something there. That was going to be my next question. Do you think having the 11th man on the pitch would have made a difference in the final stages as we were rallying for a point? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. It would give us more structure and I think we were rallying for it. We were attacking, like, we were quite unlucky with some of the chances, but I think with 11 men, it would also, looking back, such an unnecessary 
thing to happen for Muirhead and obviously he's been a scapegoat recently if, if it's if that's warranted or not it's up to you to just up for you to decide um, but I think now fans will be completely turned against them after that uh, a needless needless red card which we didn't need yeah I thought we were totally on top of the game at that point when your head got sent off uh, it was just disgraceful I mean you know if you if you're sarcastically clapping to the ref you know you're going to get sent off again it was just such an idiotic thing to do he's really quite a frustrating player I, I just can't really take to him right now and I understand he's getting played out of position but left back or left wide back isn't his right position but I don't know I, I just think he really should have just not done that and I did see in the, the paper that Hopkins has had a go at him as well so hopefully he'll not do it again but I just can't see him being back in the team anytime soon obviously when Jack comes back I just don't really see a place for him in a starting eleven once he's back for suspension. See, the thing is as well, like from all the times we've seen him at left-back, I always remember the first game of last season, air away when he started at left-back and everyone was just confused. But he wasn't actually too bad. But prior to that, I mean, a couple of mistakes, you know, a couple of misplaced passes and that, but he was still driving. He was actually, we lacked a kind of attacking threat throughout that whole game, which is what I thought we needed. And he did drive towards our defence on a few occasions, maybe had a shot, I can't really remember. But he, he didn't look too bad as well, which is another frustrating point of it because obviously playing all right and then just getting yourself sent off like that, it's just daft, needless. And I think we were already up against it and I think that put a nail in the coffin. Yeah, I think, as you said, if you play well for 60, 65 minutes and it was his best performance, in my opinion, it was his best performance of the season so far, to do that and then get yourself sent off absolutely needlessly it really takes away any plaudits that you deserved for the positive performance up until that point but as you said Louise the manager spoke to him about it you would like to think that it's been a, a lesson learned and it won't happen again Just One Cornetto is brought to you in association with the Inverclyde Boiler Company since our incorporation, we have established ourselves as the go-to company for all things boilers in Inverclyde, known for our unrivaled service and professionalism in fitting new boilers. We are now the lead accredited installer of Worcester Bosch and Ideal Boilers in Inverclyde, installing over 400 boilers last year, and that's no easy achievement. At the Inverclyde Boiler Company, the customer is everything. From our family to yours, the team will be with you every step of the way to ensure your boiler installation is as smooth, straightforward and simple as it can be. We are a company that takes pride in our staff along with the integrity and quality of our work. With our stringent quality control policies and safety visits in place, you are guaranteed the highest quality of service, delivery, installation and aftercare. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us info at theinverclydeboilercompany.co.uk or call us on 01475 one player that stuck out to me yesterday was Cameron Blues. I thought he was a really good attacking force driving forward, particularly in the second half, getting ahead of your head. I still, I'm still yet to see a great deal to convince me that he belongs at this level. But I did think yesterday he did well in getting up, getting beyond your head, and really driving us forward at times. What do you guys make of his season so far? Blues is like obviously Hoppy sees a lot on him and. I mean, from the majority of the time, what I've seen of him, it's just off the bench. I've not seen him start on that many occasions. Obviously, he's starting now a wee bit. I think you're kind of spot. I don't know if he's at this level. But, I mean, that was it was a positive performance for him. But he needed to be that attacking link, which I don't think he is. And that was because of the way we set up. That was the formation the team we started. Cameron Blues, in the middle, was our attacking link. We obviously had Cammy Salkeld, 
it was kind of floating between right and left and then eventually when Nesbitt came on as well I think he can, if he keeps getting maybe a run of games he actually could come into a bit of a player and I don't think I'd like him starting every week I'd like actually to be honest with you I'd like to see a bit more of his line Yeah I think the jury's kind of still out on Blues he was our attacking force for what I kind of remember he had about four or five shots yesterday he seemed to kind of press more up the park than to but I wouldn't have him starting every week maybe he does need to get starts to build up his confidence and become a better player but at the minute as you say Tammy I think we buy you know look a call is probably a better option to start obviously that brings me on to my next point you guys had the luxury of seeing a lot more of Reese Lyon last season than I did what do you think he can bring to this team when he's on his game because there has been a few performances I've seen him and he's maybe I don't know if lazy is the word but He's just been a bit missing. When he's on his game, he is a very kind of entertaining player to watch, I think. I think he's fun to watch. He's got great touches. He can be that driving force in the middle, which is, I think, we're desperately lacking. So if he comes back and he makes his way into starting 11, he could be that kind of link from defence and attack. However, going from what we've seen of, them, seen of him this season, which is minimal, he didn't look 100% match kind of ready. And he's, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I don't know if I'm just speculating here or anything like that. But is there, a, do you think there is a problem, an issue with him starting? Do you think Hoppy's got something for him? Like, why he's not been starting? Because, and even that, he makes rare kind of sub appearances as well. And he's obviously a talented player. Obviously, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage, as, as I did allude to from the limited time that I have watched him. I would like to see him start in that midfield. I don't think our midfield has performed sparklingly well to such an extent that he can't force his way in. But again, the manager's obviously seeing something in him that he thinks he's not quite ready to start yet. So it is, it's going to be an interesting one. Again, with the shortened season, I think you're going to see as a more general point, it's going to be harder for younger players to to break through into the first team this season. And I don't think that will just be the case at Morton. When you have a 27 game season, you're not going to have as many games where you can go, I can just throw him in today and see how he gets on so I think Lyon and I think a lot of young players throughout the division this year are really going to need to kick themselves on and really give their managers no alternative but to put them in the starting lineup. Yeah I think Reece Lyon as well he did score a couple of goals last season so he, he does kind of pop up in the box and, and create chances and, and score goals from what I'm looking at on Wikipedia he scored three goals in 16 games last season Obviously, getting an injury hasn't helped. And then there was obviously the speculation as well about Salford winning for him. It just seems to have been at that moment. He's not really had a sniff in the team. And whether it's injury-related or what he's just not favouring at the minute, I don't know. But I do definitely think he will bring something to the starting eleven. And I think he would probably be my... If we're going to go with a three in the midfield, I think he would probably be my favourite one along with Jacob Dan McAllister in the middle there. He's he's kind of like the young one, so he'll have the legs. Otherwise, McAllister and Jacobs are the experienced. They can kind of sit in the midfield and let lie and go a wee bit more forward. There's definitely more attributes to his game going forward than there are defensively. So would you then recommend, obviously, keeping Jacobs and McAllister sitting and just letting Lyon bomb forward and trying to break the lines and make something happen in there? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Jacobs and McAllister are good. Kind of sitting in. Jacobs is good for kind of sweeping up play. Um, he wins a lot of the balls. He's got good stamina. He'll he'll run for days for you. And I think with them two sitting there, I think Lyon would kind of have the, the free reign of attacking more. And I, I think that would be his best position going forward. So just before we move on, can you both give me something that you've learned about this Morton squad that you didn't know prior to the game yesterday? 
Um, that's a good question. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'd obviously, I think everyone's maybe been a bit sceptical about this season going into it. I think defensively, we're actually looking okay. And I think that's been everyone's kind of big fear because we were missing, we didn't have any centre-backs before like our first game. It took us ages to actually sign them eventually. I think defensively, looking going by that performance yesterday, I think we do look a bit more kind of structured at the back. There's obviously, I think they must be doing like structured drills in training because we look at the back, and I'm not saying throughout the whole team because there's still kind of questions of like what formation we're playing and who's playing where, and people are kind of floating about. But at the back, with that kind of back three or back five or whatever, whatever you want to call it, we do look quite structured. So I think I'm now kind of learning that this Morton team might be kind of backs against the wall sort of thing. We might be defending a lot of the game, but we're looking to counter. And I think we might actually cause a few teams problems by playing like that, which I'm all for, obviously. I think defensively we're looking good, which is something I don't think I thought I'd be saying if you asked me a couple of weeks ago. I've learned that Salkeld, last season he wasn't the best. I thought games that he played, he just wasn't really in any of the games. He wasn't really getting involved much. But I think yesterday, he was probably our best player yesterday, actually. I thought the runs that he'd done, particularly in the first half, he went past about three or four players at one point, which was surprising. But no, I, I think Salkeld is, is really coming on to a game. So I've, I've learned yesterday that I think I would probably have him in my starting 11 every week, to be honest. I think he's had a really good start of this season. I think the thing is with Salkeld, I like him. I think physically he's very, he's fast. He's very, very fast, actually. He's quite strong as well. And he can actually, see when he can, he can hold up the ball, not bad. It's technically, I think sometimes he can be like a car without a driver, if that makes sense. Like, he's, sometimes his first touch is way, way beyond him. And sometimes his passing is poor. And I think if he just kind of sharpens up on that, he could actually be a good option for us this season. I think what I've learned from this week, I think the positive is that Fajotov is a cracking player. I'd said it after the Queen's Park game that I would I wanted to see more of him against better opposition. We've now seen that and I think he passed that test with flying colours. Other positive I would have is I think we did well, other than the open the opening minutes of the match, I think we did well to stifle Charlie Adam and reduce his influence on the game, which I thought was a really a really pleasing aspect of the performance. The worry that I have is, for all we have signed a lot of what you would call creative players, I don't necessarily see a great deal of creativity in the team going forward, particularly when we're chasing the game against an opposition that are sitting deep and are quite happy to let us have the lion's share of possession, which is something that we are going to have to improve. We've went into this season with strikers who are all capable of getting a goal on their day without having what you would call an established first-choice striker. So we are going to need to work incredibly hard on the training ground to get that cohesion there and to let that creativity flourish. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We don't actually have that kind of number nine striker. Calvin Orsi, I like him when he, I mean, he runs himself to the ground, which I love. He's often physical as well, and I think he can hold the ball up well, and he's just going to press and press, which is obviously the kind of style of football we'll, we will be playing this season. I think a lot of our football is going to rely on our wingers and what wingers start. It seems that we have absolutely loads of them if you look at the kind of squad. When we start relying on our wingers getting goals, though, I think we might struggle in some games. I would prefer it if we had a kind of number nine who can not only do the kind of pressing which Calvin Orsi does and has the physicality of Calvin Orsi, but also kind of gets some goals as well. All right, guys, thank you very much for that. Looking elsewhere in the division, on Friday night, Hearts snuck a second-half winner away at a very well-organised Broth side 
A Kevin O'Hara hat-trick helped Dunfermline to an impressive 4-1 win against Alloa at the Inderdrill Stadium. Inverness and Air played out a 1-1 stalemate in the Highlands and it was goals galore in Dumfries as Wraith Rovers continued their impressive start to the season with a 5-2 win over Queen of the South. It's another good result for Wraith Rovers, another good result for Dunfermline. Yeah. I've not asked you guys so far, who do you guys reckon will make up the top four this season? Uh, it's obviously difficult to tell the now. Um, I think Hearts, even though I wasn't massively impressed against when they played the Brof, I watched it on BBC Scotland, I think Hearts will win it. I think their squad is just its too good for them not to win it. The top second, third and fourth, I mean, it could... This, that's the thing which I actually quite love about the championship. It could be anyone. Rafe Rovers could be up there. I know it's two great wins. Um, they've obviously got goals in them as well. Um, Dunfermline could be up there. I always feel like Dunfermline start well and then fade away. Dundee could obviously be up there as well. I think I would say, I couldn't tell you who my second, third and fourth would be who'd make the rest of the top four. Um, but I think Dunfermline will do well this season. And I also think Air, even though they've maybe not started that well, I can't actually remember their past games. Nothing of note, really. I know they're a draw against Inverness. They've got a good squad in the past couple of seasons. They have been up there. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them up there. I'd also... For the record, quite like Morton <laughs> if we got up there, but I mean, time will tell. I think Wraith are definitely the dark horses this season. They've had two good results. Our broth, I thought they would have had a better. I know obviously they played Hearts on Friday, but to get beat 3 0 last week off Wraith, I was quite surprised. So I think Wraith might be like their broth from last season. I think they could be kind of comfortably mid table. I think, as Cami said, from Fermlin, I think they've actually built up quite a good squad. Kevin O'Hara, I think, came off the bench yesterday and scored a hat-trick. So they do have goals there. So I can see them Fermlin. Air, I think Air will probably be up there because they've signed Cammy Smith during the week and I think their new striker scored yesterday, that Ennis Cameron. So they've actually built up quite a good squad. So I could see Air being up there. And I think Dundee will be up there as well once they kind of settle down. So I think Hart will maybe go up. Well, they should go up. And I think Fairmont, Dundee and Air will be up there. I just don't know what places we'll finish at, but I think they'll be right up there in the top four. See, even though I said that Dundee will probably be up there or in their thereabouts with the playoff, I mean, they didn't, they weren't anything special yesterday. I mean, a couple of their players stood out, and obviously, and they have a good squad. Obviously, you know, you get like Charlie Adam and Graham Dorans, which people will talk about, but I mean, I'm talking more about players like Danny Mullen, like Jordan Marshall, left back, Decky McDade. They have a good squad, but I mean, they didn't look anything special. All right, guys, we will leave it there. Thanks again to Louise for joining us and Cammy for making his debut episode. Stay tuned, everyone, as we have an interview with Morton and the Community's Chief Executive, Brian McLaughlin. I'm delighted to say that we have Chief Executive of Morton and the Community, Brian McLaughlin, on the line with us. How are you, Brian? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me on. Hope you're well. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us. So, would you like to give us a, a wee bit of background about yourself and how you became involved with Morton? Yeah, I mean, the Community Trust um, has been here for approximately eight years and I've been part of that for just under seven. So, background in myself was growing up, always wanted to be involved in football in some way, shape or form. Never good enough to play the game. Um, but um, always the passion about coaching and First started with, with Morton in the Youth Academy and then worked full-time on the side and then the opportunity to come and work under Tom Elliott at the time. I think at the time Sean Crichton was working with the Community Trust and he went full-time with Morton, so seen a wee opportunity there. And within sort of three, four weeks, my job role changed drastically and 
within the last six and a bit years or so. Um, I've managed to progress from assistant community manager right through to chief exec through a variety of people moving on and, and opportunities. So, no, delighted that I can help the local area and, and work with the club and, and try and get the Morton badge out as much as we possibly can. Fantastic. So, for anyone who's unaware of the scope of Morton Community Trust, what are the overall aims? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me, and I think the easiest way to put it is I'm a bit of a football weirdo myself. <laughs> um, um, I openly admit that. And for me, football stadiums are these sort of hidden places that were were probably opened every second Saturday. And if I went anywhere, maybe a city break or holiday, I would always try and find a football stadium just to see it. And I think for us, we in Scotland and across Europe, we can now use these places to really enhance people's lives through a variety of projects. And a lot of people come to football stadiums to to see what it's like behind the scenes. Because as a fan, for example, you might just see it from one side of the the stand where you sit or you stand. So for us, it's it's about providing opportunities using that Morton badge. Um, we we firmly admit we we try our best to help as many people as we possibly can. And if you look back eight years ago, a lot of our activities were were football related, and it was mainly kids running around football pitches. And we actually calculated just before COVID that over sixty percent of what we actually do doesn't involve a football. So that shows you how much the organisation's changed. And I think looking at that and, and why that's the case is mainly because we see opportunities, we can help people. The, the local area is an area that's had a lot of labels in the past couple of years in particular. So we, we feel as if we can firmly sit to support and um, assist with a recovery and, and hopefully give people the opportunity to develop and progress with a smile as well, under the Morton badge. So obviously, as you alluded to there, working in Greenock presents a unique challenge. Obviously, there's some overarching societal issues there. As you touched on, Morton and the community do a lot of work away from football, outside of traditional footballing activities. How do you help the people in Brookline? Yeah, I mean, so our, our four, four key areas are sport, health, education, employability. So within sport, obviously, we've got our football projects and um, we've also got our hockey section, but um, within the last three years or so, we've, we've really developed health projects, whether that be mental health, physical health, um, and trying to um, assist people with, with maybe losing weight or feeling a bit more positive about things. We've delivered a lot of education projects at the stadium um, in partnership with Inverclyde Council, and that's all about trying to close the educational attainment gap, um, using the stadium as a, a classroom, for example, a different environment, and hopefully kids can learn and the feedback from teachers is that the kids are more engaged within the stadium because it's related to football through literacy and numeracy. Um, and we also deliver a, a variety of employability projects where we've progressed people onto employment, further education, um, and also provided people with a lot of qualifications that supports that journey. So um, it's using a variety of skill sets and partnerships that we can develop these unique projects. Um, and I think the biggest thing for myself is a lot of these projects start with a blank piece of paper and a bit of uh, motivation to help people. Um, and then they turn into these bigger projects that are sustainable and have a lasting effect on people. Fantastic. Now, obviously, the ongoing COVID pandemics presented a number of challenges for everyone. Football's no, no stranger to that. What challenges has the pandemic caused for you guys and how have you overcome them? 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for us was um, the, the hardest where we've been hit is probably financial, as, as we, we spoke about earlier. We rely heavily on kids coming to football centres or and all that was taken away within probably two or three days. So quickly, we'd, we had to change what we'd done and we've, we've utilised the furlough scheme, for example, to, to put staff on furlough. And, and ultimately, my biggest role when, when COVID was growing and, and starting to take effect was how do modern communities still be here long term? Um, so we took a bit of a, a breather. We we looked around what was the challenges locally, and a couple of things stood up, out for us. So the first one was homeschooling. Um, I'm not a parent myself, but speak to my sister. Two boys still working from home. Homeschooling was a challenge. So we started developing educational resources that we could send out, um, similar to the projects we were speaking about earlier on, and given parents and guardians an opportunity to maybe teach their kids in a different way and engage them. Um, we also managed to send out some food packages in partnership um, with Belleville Community Garden. And then we started looking at a project called Morton at Home, where we, we've seen a lot of kids and young players practicing football in their garden or sometimes in their living room. So we started sending out challenges and showcasing them on social media. And then lastly, we, we had a team talk project through COVID, which um, actually started 10 months before COVID hit. But we, we noticed straight away this project was almost a full-time job for people um, because they were isolated before COVID. But now they're even more isolated, one walk a day, for example. So the team talk project went online two weeks before lockdown um, with the idea that we can continue to engage people. So... We've tried to look at it from a proactive point of view and how we can support people within our means, but also look at the longer-term picture and hope that Morton Community is going to be a part of Inverclyde for a long, long time. Obviously, having spent a season coaching with Morton in the community, I've seen firsthand the amount of good work that goes on in the footballing side of things. As you touched on there, one of the programmes that's been getting a lot of positive coverage recently has been Team Talk. How did the idea come about? Take us to the very beginning. Yeah, I mean... We, the team talks are an interesting one. It probably took us about 10 months from deciding we're going to do it to actually do it. And the biggest reason was okay, we, we decided to make a commitment that every Monday night between 7 and 9, Capital would be open for meals. Um, so we looked at a, a couple of other projects uh, delivered in Glasgow. Went to, I actually went and visited one with a colleague at the time, and there was 24 guys sitting in a room talking about different challenges they faced and that peer support and it's one of them ones I got home from Glasgow about 11 o'clock at night on a Monday night and I was buzzing I just thought to myself this is something we need to do because it's given someone a place to go and talk so as I say 10 months 9-10 months of planning because we needed to make that commitment that this couldn't be a 12-week project it couldn't be um, six months it had to be as long as Morton's here uh, Morton and the community's here sorry Team Talk would run. So we, we started to iron it out, speak to key partners, and speaking to a key partner locally, Mind Mosaic, we, they told me something staggering, which always sits in my mind, that Inverclyde had the second highest suicide rate in Scotland for males under 45. And for me, that's just every suicide. Is, um, one's too many, but there's still too many happening now, so we had to do something. So we started to look at some funding, getting a bit of support, and then we opened Capital Park in May 2019, a Monday night, just with the whim, who knows, if we get one guy, it's going to run every week. If we get 10 guys, it's worth it. 
no matter how many is there, we're still going to do it. So at this moment in time, we probably average about 12 to 13 meals every Monday. That's consistent over lockdown. Um, and the biggest thing for me is it's peer support. Guys have got a chance to be listened to. They feel they don't have to talk if they don't want to. But it's just that place, a sense of purpose on that Monday night. To be honest, it's probably went a lot more stronger than we thought in terms of guys coming out of the house for a long time and people coming off medication. So, yeah, it's something we've decided every Monday it's going to happen. And then lockdown, we went online. Um, we're still online at the moment. Um, we have done it a couple of times, um, but we're online with just current restrictions. So, powerful, probably openly admit that it's probably the most powerful thing we've ever done and will do. Um, so, yeah, it's been been fantastic and the guys are a real credit as well fantastic so obviously Morton Club together are set to take over the club in the summer how do you think the takeover will impact Morton in the community and do you think there's a benefit to a club like Morton being owned by the local community uh, probably what I said earlier on about Inverclyde being this area that's it gets labels but for me Inverclyde's a fantastic area um, one club town as well which is a huge benefit me I'm excited to see what the future holds uh, with MCT I think Working in the third sector changes something that happens a lot, so we're, we're more equipped to deal with that. And I think moving forward, it's going to be exciting. I'm excited to see how it pans out over the next, I don't know, seven, eight months. Um, we've already started having discussions with MCT on um, how we could potentially support uh, that transition or what we could support with longer term, because ultimately we're, we're trying to make Inverclyde better um, through a variety of means. And the the one thing that's going to be at the heart of all that is a, the Green Morton badge. So, yeah, it's an exciting time and one I'm sure we'll, we'll see benefits both sides, hopefully, as we progress. So do you see Morton in the community as a route to increasing engagement and buy-in from the local community to the club then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as on a typical week, we engage about 1,200 people and out of that 1,200 people, do they know they, they can own the part of the football club? Um, I think a majority will, but... There's other people there, there's benefits. If you're part of this, you can part on the football club. So, yeah, I think um, just having that shared message and vision and ultimately shared responsibility is going to be exciting. Fantastic, Brian. I won't keep you any longer. That was a really good insight into everything that Morton and the community do. Thanks very much for your time and thanks for joining us. No, thank you very much, Dean, and take care. Thank you. Well, that's us for another episode. We have a very special interview going live this week with a Morton legend. We'll reveal more details on that throughout the week across our social media platforms. To keep up to date with all things Morton, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Morton Forum. Make sure you visit themortonforum.com for the latest Morton news, analysis and debate. Thank you all for listening to the Just One Cornetto podcast, brought to you by themortonforum.com and the Inverclyde Boiler Company. Just One Cornetto,